0: Today's scripture reading is from um, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5, and Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. And you can find it on page 6 in your bulletin. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. A voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Well, the past couple of weeks we've been working through a sermon series that we've called Waiting on the World to Change and a time for us to ponder the great longings of our hearts that every one of us have and the way in which God and Christ came to fulfill them and holds out the promise that one day he will finally fully fulfill all these great longings. And so Pastor Russ, two weeks ago, brought us a wonderful sermon on our longing for joy. And last week I brought to you a reflection on our longing for intimacy. And today we have a special treat as we have another guest preacher from our Grace DC network. And this is uh, not an unfamiliar face to those of you that have been around. And so I'm happy to uh, invite and to welcome our uh, lead pastor from Grace downtown, uh, Pastor Glenn Hoberg, who is here also having taken an Uber uh, from Grace Mosaic, but actually arriving on time, unlike me last week. Uh, so a joy to have our brother here bring the word. Thank you so much, Glenn, for being here. Let's all welcome him together. Yeah. Buy you some yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, happy Advent. Yeah, I
2: have to confess, my time's been off, too. I, I came in, um, and I heard the sound, and I said to Justin, I said, oh, is that the uh, church before yours? And he just looked at me, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is the Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah, it's not. And then I said, "I said, oh, so is that, are you guys having a special program before the service? He was like, no, this is the service. And I was like, oh, it started already. So, Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, I'm still, uh, maybe something happens during Advent, it's not Daylight Savings, but something like it, but um, I'm glad to be here with you and um, spending some time, and as Duke said, we're spending three weeks, four weeks total on the same five verses, which serve not only as an end to this prophecy and revelation, but really an end to the entire story of the Bible. An appropriate end, an end for which we long, where God gives us a vision of the fact that everything that is evil and sad will be undone and become untrue. And as Duke said, we've looked at waiting for joy, desiring for joy, longing for intimacy, and uh, I've been given the task of preaching on waiting for permanence or stability, was joking with the Mosaic crowd that said, you know, permanence doesn't really have a lot of poetic, uh, you know, uh, muscle in it. Uh, I didn't pick that word for me. The other pastors did, I'm sure, to see if I could do something. Uh, but anyway, it really is a wonderful theme that I've loved dwelling on. And one that we, in a city that is transient and moves here and there, face on a regular basis. Well, This is the lay of the land. Researchers tell us that the average American moves residences 11 times, at least 11 times. I think it's got to be higher in D.C. When someone asks us the question, where is your home, Uh, we stop and hesitate because we don't know how to answer that question. Whereas 100 years ago, people certainly could. One writer has said that the modern individual is almost wholly rootless like a vagrant wandering the earth those who belong everywhere can also be said to belong nowhere and when you take our moving and couple it with the moving of the people that are close to us that is a whole lot of impermanence a whole lot of change that's happening in our lives let's now move to work the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the average job lasts 4.6 years, and the average worker will have 10 jobs before they're 40. And if you're a millennial, it's actually 12 to 15 jobs before you're 40. And when we consider the majority of our days is spent at work, again, that's a whole lot of transition that we experience. Let's now move to health. I know this is only getting worse, right? I think, why did I... Why did I come this morning? Uh, Especially if you're in my stage of life, talking about health. um, Whether it is someone fit and in their 20s, hearing the news like a dear person in my congregation did recently that they have aggressive cancer, or whether it's someone that felt like they were young and is now getting older. I think about this uh, wonderful line from a Bonnie Raitt song. She won a Grammy for her song, Nick of Time. In it, she says, I see my folks, they're getting old and I watch their bodies change. I know they see the same in me and it makes us both feel strange. Or the meditation on mortality, classic rock style, where the writer says, same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Kerry Livgren, when he wrote that lyric and played it for the band, he said the band was stunned into silence. And I think it wasn't just the beauty of the lyric. It was the sobriety of the topic. If you've heard that song, it has the same effect on its listeners. And so we're reminded that the achievements that we strive after and the possessions that we pine after, and the people that we worry after, are gone. They will be gone. And our lives, uh, you know, are like uh, tethered to a rope, just running through our fingers, so much faster than any of us to think or realize. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks the truth when he says all flesh is grass. I'm asking you, how do you deal with the impermanence of your life? How do you deal with that change? I I think there are a couple different options before you. One is to uh, try to normalize it. That is to say, well, it's just normal life. This would be the approach of Hinduism in Buddhism. In Buddhist philosophy, There are actually three marks of existence, and one of them is impermanence. The idea is that everything is in transition, everything is in constant, you and I are bound to a cycle of destruction. And that's the good news. Because it's not just for this life, it's actually that's what lies ahead. And I think what's going on there is actually um, an effort to try to normalize something that's abnormal to be able to just to deal with it. Now, there is some truth in what's represented in that philosophy, and we'll get to that in a second. Another approach could be, and I'd say these next two are really approaches of modern folk, the one is to just try to resist it and stave it off, right? If I eat everything that I'm supposed to eat, and I exercise, Washington, of course, being the fittest city, I think. um, At least uh, Arlington County, I heard, is the fittest county, every now and then my daughter drags me out there, she trains me, and we run on a track, and, uh, you know, the first time I went out there, it was uh, 6.30 in the morning, there were like 80 people out there, I couldn't believe my eyes, and I'm just getting lapped over and over by what I guess was the 0% body fat club, because, you know, just these like young bodies in shape, you know, and all I could say was, I'm your future, (laughs) Enjoy, but I'm the future, baby, you know. Um, You know, you can try to stave it off, but, and the other thing is some of us just try to numb it, right? I think this is uh, really one of the favorite ones of modern people, where we just pour ourselves into pleasure. We try to distract ourselves. We sit there and click, 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 and think about the next purchase we'll make, whatever it is that takes it away. But God, in his kindness, I think gives us a better option than those three. And we actually find it realized in the first advent and the second advent of Jesus Christ. And that is he invites us to both live into realism but realistic hope. And so what I'd like to do is just take the time we have and look at how the first advent secures permanence for us and how the second advent establishes it. So the first advent secures, the second establishes. So let's look at that. Now, the author Jim Collins, years ago, wrote a very well-known and uh, published book called uh, Good to Great. And in it, he did a famous interview, some of you are probably aware of it, with Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest-ranking POW officer in what was called the Hanoi Hilton. And uh, Collins asked him the question, Who didn't make it out? Who didn't make it out? And he said, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists didn't make it out. the The ones that said, we'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out by Easter. We'll surely be out by next year. Now, being a bit of an idealist and an optimist, it really caught my attention. And then he said this to him. The admiral said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And this is what the Christian faith uniquely gives us. On one hand, it gives us a hope that we will prevail and we must hold on to, and we can hold on to. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead is our assurance We can hold on to that. But at the same time, you know, this book could be renamed the Holy Book of Brutal Facts. Right? Because I I would say no other book really walks us through real life like this one does. You can always find company for your situation here. and Uduk Duke uh, lifting up our brothers and sisters in China. This book can be their strength even in that situation. In fact, the wonderful thing about it is God has already prepared for the suffering that you will face down the line, and you can be assured that you'll find company. You'll find encouragement. So it is a book of brutal facts, and what it tells us is this, that we are pilgrims and sojourners. Now, often we emphasize in our church network, and I think rightly so, that uh, theology of place this idea that we should be committed to our place, but we never want to do that at the expense of understanding that we are refugees. I spent the week reading some testimonies of refugees. There's many things, of course, they face. Loss of control, vulnerability, sickness, violence. One that caught my eye was loss of identity. No one knows who I was and what I did, and what my story was. And they make a lot of assumptions about who I was, who I am. That difficulty. And you and I face that. You know, God doesn't say that we're we're immune from that. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that the creation is in bondage to decay. We can see it. And so there is a part of Buddhism that speaks the truth, right? Like many, many, many philosophies and thoughts. We're also told that we're not immune from the sword, from famine, from nakedness, from persecution. We're told we shouldn't be surprised by the suffering that happens. That's very difficult, I think, for American Christians. This is why our interaction with the persecuted church is so critical. It's, It's sobering. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that outwardly we are wasting away. And probably what is most relevant to those in our culture, the passing away of desires, that John would say. We believe in our hearts, American culture, that if I can just name and obtain my truest desire, then I'll arrive. In a sense, I will have found salvation. But our desires even pass away. The very things that we thought, Would fulfill us. Uh, One of the books that I believe people of today could benefit the most from is the book of Ecclesiastes. Because it was written from a guy, written from the vantage point of a teacher, likely Solomon. We could just call him the man who got everything he wanted. The man who had everything he wanted. And you can go to a chapter where he lists it. And I'm just paraphrasing. Uh, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks. I had pools, he had orchards. I had servants, I had musicians, more possessions than anyone before me. Whatever my eyes desired, I kept my heart from no pleasure. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and behold, it was all vanity a striving after the wind. You know, I haven't had the uh, pleasure of indulging my heart in all its pleasures. And it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy to me because I am someone that really loves the tangible pleasures of life. I don't know if you're like that. And so the Bible is brutally honest about the impermanence of things, and we're told it really flows out of a larger story. The first parents of the race, the representatives of the race, we understand, had permanence in the garden of fruitfulness with God in the relationship, but they abandon God, they turn away from God, the one who is the rock, believing that they can get permanent life, but really what they get is fleeting, right? As they turn away from God. And so we find ourselves in this place where everything is fleeting and passes before our eyes, but this is what God does in the first advent. He doesn't just tell us that. He doesn't mock our longing, but rather he makes a way for it. Consider this. Jesus Christ, who the Christian faith identifies as the God-man. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, coexisting with the Father and the Spirit. And they existed together in eternal communion, love, joy. Jesus had a word for this. He said it was glory. When, when we were together, it was glory. But what does God do? God subjects himself to impermanence. He actually takes on the impermanence. The Son of God comes, and he comes on with flesh like you and I. You know, if Jesus had shown up with a different sort of a flesh, like Captain America flesh, you know, the kind of flesh where it's like, You know, I always love those scenes where a person falls down. I was catching, I think, the first bat. There's so many Batmans, I can't even keep my mind. This was the Michael Keaton Batman. But, you know, these guys shoot him and he falls down and all of a sudden comes back up, right? It's this idea. If Jesus would have come with that sort of body, I don't think it would be a comfort to us. But he doesn't. He comes with a frail body, a body that is impermanent. And then his life begins and remains that way. Jesus was born in the equivalent of the back of a Greyhound bus. He was born on the run. He said in his ministry that uh, I have nowhere to lay my head. And then as we read in Revelation these things about mourning, crying, pain, tears, death, this describes the life of Jesus. And so, you know, when we we read that and hear that wonderful passage and our hearts are just leaping forward saying, yes, I want that. I want that. Jesus could alongside of us say, yes, I know what it's like to want that because he endured that. And then ultimately his flesh wastes away as he's whipped, as he's crucified, as he suffocates as he dies, the eternal son of God, the son of man, subjects himself to the impermanence that you and I face. You don't find it anywhere else. The poet and pastor John Donne said, Christmas Day and Good Friday are but the evening and the morning of one and the same day. He was born to die. He was born that he might bring and usher in a new day. And this is what he does. He tells us by his own words, he says that I have come to do this. I have subjected myself to this thing so that you might have everlasting life, enduring life, permanent life, that you might have abundant life, that I might prepare a place for you, that I might wipe the tear from your eyes, that I might behold all things new, and that we might dwell permanently in constant love with one another. This is what the first advent secures. But to close, what does the second advent establish? Because we live between the times, we have a down payment, we have a guarantee, we have an assurance. You know, my friends, and this is this is our time to live in faith. The time will come soon. I, I remember once, uh, in fact, uh, it was. Uh, Rick Downs, who just baptized, right? Noah Downs. Um, I thought I saw Noah. Anyway, there we go, but baptized the baby. And, um, and I was driving along. Rick, Rick was such a great person to have in my life because he's just a bit of a straight shooter. And we were, um, we were driving along in western Massachusetts. And I said, uh, I looked out on these, in those days I was doing a bit of fly fishing. And so, uh, I, you know, I was looking at the streams and said, oh, I wish I could just spend my life fly fishing. He looked at me and said, are you serious? He said, what? He said, you know, heaven's the place we get to be cozy. Not this place. You know, this is our time of faith. This is our time of trust. We will have our time to celebrate. But we walk together. But we need these times where we look ahead, right? And boy, 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 how did, I don't know what the word is. Help me. Boy, boy, it's a strange word to try to work. Even worse than permanence. Anyway, uh, it's going to make us more hopeful. So let me, uh, let me mention four to close. Uh, First of all, a permanent home is what the second advent brings now, it's become uh, custom to talk about a forever home, with adoption. And, you know, I, I love the sentiment of that. I think it's a beautiful idea. But the truth is, it's not. There's not a forever home on earth. You know, we long for that. I, maybe you've had the experience where uh, you go home to your grandmother's house or you go home to your parents' house, and you so much want it to be the home of your youth the town of your youth, because it just makes you feel like, well, nothing's changing, but you notice it's not, and you notice they're not, and we're, we come to understand this is not my forever home in any way. It can't be. We're told, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now scholars, they debate whether, does this mean that the heavens and the earth as we know them, God is just going to like totally wipe them out? And then start over again. Or does it mean he's going to renovate? Well, I think it's the second. When you go to Second Peter, he, he uses this image of fire destroying the heavens and the earth. And that image is typically refers to judgment. So I think what it's saying is that God will judge all that is evil and ugly and dark in the heavens and earth. And then he will renew all that is good and right. And everything will be restored As I often repeat, my pastor friend Scotty Smith likes to say, it'll be the Garden of Eden on steroids. The second advent will bring us that place, that dwelling place, and it will, as Isaiah says, there's an emphasis on this word where God says that he will establish the heavens and the earth. Uh, I was thinking back several years ago where I was in an airport and there was a young soldier and his young wife... And it was obvious he was being deployed. And, of course, as airports uh, tend to be, it was loud. It was chaotic. People were rushing toward the gate. The intercoms are sort of, you know, announcing this is the last boarding call, last boarding call. And she would not let go of him. I just watched. It wasn't my flight. So I was just sitting there. She could not let go of him. All of us feel that. You've seen people... Leave your congregation. You're like, no. Loved ones this year that have passed, no. Heaven is the place where we stop saying goodbye. That's the place. But here we will say goodbye. And uh, God reminds us one day everything will remain. One day. So a permanent home, also permanent shalom. We're told that the sea is gone. Now, uh, the church fathers, Augustine and Andrew of Caesarea, give us a helpful image. They say the sea represents turbulence and the unsettledness of life. So sea in the Bible, of course, God made the ocean. It's a wonderful thing. But rather, it takes up the image of things that are unsettled and turbulent in our life. You know, where you feel like you are just bouncing on the sea of whatever your world is, up and down, up and down, right? Nothing seems to stay the same. Wanted want it just to stay the same. Can we have one night where my kid doesn't get sick? Can we have one holiday where my family doesn't blow? Can it just settle down? That day will come. There will be shalom, communal peace in every direction. That means the villagers will never uh, again hear the, the tramping boots of the warriors coming to destroy their village. We will no longer have to turn on the news and hear again political turmoil. We will no longer have to live with the unsettledness of the phone call that we got. It just upset our, and overturned our whole day. Shalom in every way that you can imagine. Every way that you feel anxious, if we could sit down and list them all, all of them will be undone. And more so, it'll be a place of justice and righteousness. In Second Peter, Peter says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The advent is all about righteousness and justice happening. If we understand the Messiah as he is, he is one in his first coming that brought righteousness and justice. He gave us a taste of it. He gave us, you know, he did those works, but he will rule. Rule in righteousness and justice as he comes back. And that means not only protection from future injustice, but it also means healing from past injustice. This is something we need to think about more. God not only carries our aching, wounded hearts with us throughout life, but when we get to the end of the line, he will heal them. Every injustice that you have suffered, the abuse the racism, the oppression, the violence, the, all the injustice healed of it on that great healing service. The second advent will bring shalom. Thirdly, the second advent will bring permanence and satisfaction. Uh, there's mention of the bride in the chapter. In two chapters earlier, there's mention of the great wedding feast Right. I love weddings. I think weddings are one of the best uh, living examples of the Christian gospel. In fact, you know, for preachers, you really got to screw up to screw up a wedding. I mean, you can maybe miss some of the words, but meaning like in terms of your homily, all you really have to say is, you know, God is the groom and we're the bride and there's going to be a great party because then the wedding takes everything else. It just demonstrates it the beautiful bride, right? The feast, the toast. It's such a great thing. And here we're talking about, I mean, I I don't know what the best wedding you've ever been to. Maybe you haven't been to it yet. But it will pale in comparison. I've been to some, you know, as a preacher, I go to a lot of weddings. I've been to some great weddings. I've been to some weddings where, I mean, they had not only the bride cake, but they had a groom's cake. Those of you from the South, you familiar with the groom's cake? (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I was like his own cake. Now, at my wedding, I didn't get any of it. In fact, my wife caught me trying to eat the food, and she said, what are you doing? I said, we talked about this food for months." She goes, that's not for you. I was like, but later, we got a little, right? But, you know, a a wonderful feast, a feast like you've never had before. Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Now, that's key. It will be truly the most inclusive feast ever. You know, as much as we modern folk like to think they're inclusive, you know, when we have feasts, we tend to have feasts where we invite people like ourselves. In fact, sometimes we could just set up a bunch of mirrors, you know, and sit there and go, oh, you know, I like that joke. Oh, that's because I'm telling it, right? We just, we want people just like ourselves, But Jesus talks about the highways and the byways, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every station of life, because we get completed at this feast. A feast for all people, of rich food, a feast of well and aged wine. These are images of the finest fare. Now, we just came through Thanksgiving. I don't know how you prepare for uh, wonderful feasts. You know, when you really know... I want to eat a lot. I'm looking forward to this meal. And maybe you have your regiment where, you know, earlier in the day you only eat this much and eat because you want to make sure the reserve tank is open, you know, and you're all ready to put down the food. But what happens, at least for me, you know, I get like halfway through the Thanksgiving meal and I'm full. I've maxed out already. We will not max out at this feast. I don't know if we'll be more disciplined. I don't know if we'll just have like endless stomachs. But we will not max out. It will be a wonderful feast that will continue to eat, and we will be eternally satisfied. Satisfaction. The psalm says there are eternal pleasures at his right hand. C.S. Lewis famously said all those things we love, the books and the music, all of those things are echoes. They're echoes, they're foretastes of something that's real. You know, to, to just take those things and just devour them, really uh, undoes the goodness of them, to just consume them and burp. These are good gifts from God, and so they echo something greater. And then lastly, what Duke brought us uh, to in a a way of a feast, the permanency of intimacy. I'm going to just say a few things about this because he treated it so well. The second advent will usher out Chronic loneliness, and it will usher in eternal intimacy. Now, the fact of the matter is, everybody is lonely, and you're not going to change that. You know, God will give us people in our lives. It'll be a salve. He gives us community. Now, I don't want to downplay how wonderful it is, but we also have to live with the realism that I will always have a little spot here that has a sign over it that says lonely. We just will. Even if you get the best marriage and the best family and the best kids, again, it's going to go fast. But that's okay, because we were made for something better. There's a beautiful verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 where the Apostle Paul is talking about the second advent of Christ. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then he says, and so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. No interruption. And so the one that is everything to us, we will be in his presence. There's a... You know, to, to end with a lyric, there's a, a little-known James Taylor song. I would say J.T., but you all would think it was Justin Timberlake. Uh, and I like Justin Timberlake, right? But I'm of the generation that J.T. is J.T. Um, anyway, but, uh, so J.T., James Taylor, on his live album uh, has this song that's really just hidden. It's, it's number 15 out of 30. And it's sandwiched between a couple of his hits, so most people don't know it. And it's called New Him. Anybody ever heard that song, New Him? Don't feel badly. A lot of people haven't. And uh, I don't know what provoked him to write it, but it is a poignant song. And in it, these are just some of the words. Uh, He's speaking to God, at least as I know. We hunt your face and long to trust that your hid mouth will say again, let there be light, a clear new day, absolute and flame beyond us, seed and source of darkened day, maker whom we beg to be, our father, mother, comrade, mate. It's in our faith that that becomes real, because it's in this faith, the Christian faith, that we know God as Father, and we know him as Father friend, comrade, and we know him as brother, and we know him as lover, and we know him as king, and we know him as Lord, and we know him as the most amazing boss you could ever have. All of these things, and we will be with him, and so we will be with the Lord. And that is when the advent of our loneliness is ushered out. So we were given that permanence. And the good news is, we are one Advent closer than we were last year. We're one day closer, right? It's much faster than any of us think. So let's hold on to hope. Let's have this vision of revelation in our minds. Let's not give up on the belief that there will be a place, a permanent place. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything that you went through, the way you acted, God, in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, who walked on the earth over 2,000 years ago, who was born, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead, and who will return again. We pray that you would strengthen our hope and trust in this. In Christ's name, amen.